Welcome to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days, the podcast where we talk about the opinions of old people and young people from fair wages, carbon zero, sheen halls, and everything else in between. Hello, everybody. Welcome to How to Lose a Girl in 10 Days. My name's Holly. And I'm Zando. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some alternatives to trickle-down economics that we talked about last week. It's kind of a, a part two of our trickle-down economics podcast. Yeah. And so in today's episode, we're going to be talking about different ways of either thinking about the economy or like arranging it. Mm. Right. And um, I think, we, how, many, how many are we talking about today? We've got about four different models. Some of them are kind of similar. We'll talk you through them, um, explain how they work, and then address some criticisms that people have of them as well. So the main ones we're going to be going through is the donut economic theory, the circular economy theory, um, Keynesian economics, and syndicalism as well. So those are the four main ones. Don't worry, we'll explain what all of those things mean. And if, you, if last week's podcast was a little bit heavy on the economics concepts, don't worry. We're going to be a lot lighter, a lot less in depth on these ones. Just yeah. sort of give you an idea, a diving point to do some of your own research. If you're... Because of the part two, this is going to be a little bit more like short and sweet, I think. Yeah, that's the hope. But the, the, basic, <laughs> the basic goal... We for, talk too much. Yeah, the basic goal for this episode is sort of tell you guys, hey, there are actually alternatives to what we currently have. What the status quo isn't the only option. And just give you guys an opportunity to figure out, oh, hey, I can do some more research on this on my own bat. Yeah, definitely. So the first one that we're going into today is the donut economic model. So this is It makes of... me really hungry talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's designed in uh, Exactly like a donut. So it has two boundaries and the bit that it thinks like the visualization is if you just imagine a donut, it wants us to sit in the actual doughy part of the donut. It thinks that if we fall into the middle hole of the donut, that means that we like fail to meet people's um, needs in the society. So like if they can't afford rent or if people are dying of disease or hunger or anything like that. Um, we need to meet people's needs, and that's the innermost boundary of like what we need to be doing as a society. So that's like the inner circle of the donut is those bad things. We need to avoid that. And then it says that the outer barrier, if we exceed the outside part of the donut, then that means that we are not being economically but also in a climate sense sustainable. So if we exploit the earth... Um, if we cross that outer boundary, then that makes it unsustainable for the continuation into the future. So this model kind of likes to look at it as this is like an adapted 21st century model, which somewhat accounts for the society that we live in and the steps that we need to take for climate change in order to, you know, keep our population living. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of like Goldilocks and the Free Bears, right? The, the, the basic idea is they're saying we have to, as an economy, we have to, like, as a, like, as a society, we have to meet everybody's basic fundamental needs. We have to give people a roof over their head. We've got to feed them. We've got to give them the ability to do ex- all of these mm. things. But at the same time, we can't do too much that everything falls off a cliff. So, like the same way, like the first project is too hot, right? We, 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 we can't have, we can't, we, we can't have an economy that doesn't meet people's needs. But at the same time, we can't have a, like an economy that's like, like the project being too cold, where you have an economy that is like overexploitative, it's unsustainable, it's racing down on its way to collapse and climate climate doom. Yes. So the porridge is just right in the yeah. middle of so the in the middle of the donut economic theory. <laughs> exactly. It's sort of saying that there's this is band, right? This is we can we can do like we there's a band of like how much we can produce and how much like um, how much we need to produce and how much we can sustainably produce. And as long as the economy is within that boundary, we're all good. 
Yeah. Um, and also just like by design, it's um, designed to be more equitable in the sense that anything that's produced um, or the benefits of anything that's produced goes back to the people who produced it. Yeah. as well it's it's sort of a different way of thinking about the economy as well because trickle down economics is very much a economic growth is the end goal mm, right yeah. well, economic growth everyone does better it's the sort of idea that like like and if you listen to our last episode you'll sort of get that donut theory is very much more about how do we meet people's goals like it's not mm. like economic growth is, is, is okay but it doesn't matter if the economy isn't growing or even shrinking yeah as long as okay we're doing things periods. sustainably yeah and everyone's needs are being met and everyone's like so it promotes basically maybe happiness and equality over rampant growth. So you might not, like, under a, if you had an economy that was entirely organized around donut theory, you might not get really rich, but you might be able to afford to buy your own house. You might be able to, you know, go on vacation. You have to live a comfortable life, not necessarily. That's the sort of goal of donut theory. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's more of a, like, I was looking at different sources for this, and the whole vibe is like embrace the twenty first century and like look at a bigger picture of what we're wanting to achieve instead of like short term economic growth goals for people. But this does come with its criticisms as well. So like because it's more abstract, there are criticisms of people being like, you just haven't given us any policy of like how specifically you're going to implement this and how it's actually going to like work. And I think possibly if you did more in-depth research about it, you possibly could come across examples. But there's just the political feasibility of being able to change a whole system that's so embedded in society. Like, how easy is it to actually do that? Well, I mean, it's really a way of thinking about the economy rather than, like, a, a like a blueprint of what the economy should be like. Mm, it's saying- I, but, I, but I think that if it wants to achieve all the goals that it's saying, like all of the benefits of anything that's produced goes back to the producers. I think that that requires systematic change that people are probably unwilling to, <laughs> to adapt to. Also, there's just little... Like, it's based on academic theory. Like, theoretically, this could work. But there's no, like, actual evidence that proves that it will work. To be fair, the same criticism could be made of our current system. This is true. Yeah, that, that, is, that is also a good point. Like, a lot of these are not just like we're discrediting yeah. them, we're just showing you both sides. Exactly. We, 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 we're sort of, saying that, sort of saying that, like, this is a way of thinking about the economy in a different sense for trickle economics. Yeah, for sure. And then people who, who are really. Um, critics uh, who are really critical of like growth of the economy just say that look the donut theory still doesn't address issues that come with growth and it still focuses on growth as being necessary um, like without addressing any of the issues yeah. and equality issues that come from that as yeah. well they basically, they basically say that like it's a lovely theory but the way our economy is currently just structured fundamentally is unsustainable and we've even if we fit within this lovely band that I like to call it there isn't actually a fresh, like, we have to drastically reduce consumption if we want to meet our climate targets and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it so. just requires a massive overhaul of the way people think and what we do and how do we actually meet these targets. Yeah. I think... It, so, so I guess it's sort of discussed as being unrealistic. But I, yeah. personally, I'm actually really... I'm not, I don't know enough about it to be a big fan because, like, this is, this is Holly's pet project. She loves to talk about it all the time. This is not true. I, I talk about it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a good way of thinking about the economy, but I agree that it's probably unsustainable to implement. But I think that it's if we look at that, it kind of moves the middle of thinking what we should be doing with the current yeah. system and the and the flaws in that, and what we need to be looking towards is like an end goal of like idealism. I think it gives is the way it I gives you a different it. way of like thinking about policy and analyzing policy, right? Mm, yeah, if you only if you analyze all policy as will it promote economic growth, then you're only going to get policies that promote economic growth. Whereas if you get policy, if you start evaluating economic policies in terms of what are the social consequences? What are the environmental? 
then it becomes a little bit different. Hmm. Cause, and I guess, I guess at the end of the day, like the economy isn't really about money, right? It's really about how we allocate resources and how we choose mm. a society to give resources to certain people. Yeah. Right? And if we're just looking at growing the economy for the sake of the economy, that sort of misses the point that the economy is just really a resource distribution, right? This is getting so deep. When I think of the economy, yeah. I'm just like, money. But like, it's, it's more than that though, right? Like, it's, it's like, how do we decide who gets this house? Well, money, but like that's from the economy. Like the economy is all about how we do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose. So I guess Donut Fury is sort of like, well, given that it's all about resource allocation, maybe growing the size of the economy and the amount of resources in it isn't the best way to allocate those resources in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting thoughts. It is. But that sort of brings us into circular economy. Circular and economy is this is my this similar. is this is my pet project. Holly loves to talk about the donut fair. This is my <laughs> one. It basically says that like if we dig something out of the ground, right? Like let's say we like dig some metal out of the ground, we should aim to like reuse that as much as we possibly can mm. before we eventually, you know, throw it away. Because like as it currently works in our system, like take plastic for example, it's mainly most plastic in the in the world is manufactured to be thrown away. Not fair recycle, but to be thrown away. Mm. Right? And that's sort of really wasteful in the long term because we've spent all this money and effort digging the stuff out of the ground. Why don't we eventually just, why don't we just keep reusing it? So what circular economy sort of calls for is saying, hey, how about we try and make it so that everything's recyclable, like so we can recycle everything and that we can just reuse as much as we can mm. and stuff has like a longer lifespan, right? Yeah. So it really promotes having this long, sustainable longevity of everything you put out of the ground. Yeah. Um, and, and with that, so like in terms of how that's actually implemented, it looks like cities or countries investing strongly in like uh, reusable supply chains and like looking at creating money and sponsoring jobs and things like um, repair and renewable energy and water and resource management like those kind of areas you invest heavily in so then you kind of kind of promote the inherent go around in a circle exactly and it, it yeah. does often call for like a lot of government regulation about like the type of products that can be made particularly mm. like making sure that plastics are recyclable like when we banned single use plastic bags mm. a couple yeah. of years ago so we're sort of, I think countries are sort of going down that route now, at least when it comes to like There are waste. lots of countries who have adopted like forms of this model, like Thailand recently adopted, well, they labeled it like a bio-circular green economy, which is basically this. It's kind of like half donut theory, half circular economy, where it's like, we want to be able to meet everybody, everybody's basic needs, but also everything we're producing should be really, really sustainable. And that's what we're working towards. Um, yeah, so that's so that's similar vibes and the main focus is being sustainable and being climate friendly and that's what we should be looking towards but again it it has similar but different criticisms than the donut theory in terms of people kind of just say that like this is really really hard to do because you have to spend so much money in changing so many things about our society like infrastructure technology like currently we are investing a fair amount of money in like renewable energy but if we want to achieve the circular economy goal that's got to be so much more money right? although, although to be fair we're really basically there in new zealand like almost all our like almost all our energy except during winter comes entirely from hydropower or solar panels or wind i think wind is like the wind farms out of Makara power most of wellington when the wind blows i didn't know that that's good. Yeah, I good. mean, we do have a lot of wind. Yeah. Like, I'm not particularly surprised. <laughs> you yeah, know, I, 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 I remember reading something like, I think like 95% plus of our 
of our energy comes from renewables in New Zealand. Except when we have droughts or like... <laughs> Except when we have yeah. any other variable non-Wellington yeah. weather. <laughs> yeah, but pretty, much, pretty much when we have like... like There's like one coal fire plant in Hunt Lake and that powers mm. all the extra stuff we need in New Zealand. But oftentimes we don't need to use it. And there have been years where we don't even turn that on. So as far as renewable yeah. energy goes in New Zealand, it's not actually a far cry. The main issue is just the manufacturing of it. And requiring mm. and the the uh, the critics usually argue that like requiring everything to be sustainable and like being able to like be reused is a big drain and like a big hindrance to companies that are operating in New Zealand. Mm. And it, yeah, and it's the idea that like if everything has to be sustainable, then if you want to try and innovate something that could be that like could create sustainability or something, or like um, if you want to innovate in a way that's going to be climate friendly, then that just puts restrictions on what you can actually make. Do you know, does that make sense? It does, sort of. But I guess it also means that, like, if you invent a new technology, you'll have to invent for websites for you're disposing of it, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Like, That's probably it's, just it's, a good it's, thing. It's, yeah, sort of like, hey, we have this phone that if we just throw it in the, in the like, in the, like, like, my, my, like your cell phone, right? It has to be recycled in air waste recycling or just thrown in the, like, in the dump. Yeah. Right? If it gets put in the landfill, you've got all this acids leaking out. It's really bad for the environment. The, the ideal behind circular economy is that landfills don't exist, yeah. basically. Um, but yeah, and also actually, I think there is also an, another interesting like subversion of circular economy. Oh yeah, and that's called a static circular economy because it basically says that eventually, at some point in time in the future, you're going to get to a point where the global population doesn't really increase anymore. Yeah, and you're already starting to see that balancing out. Like you've got, I think it's believed We're just that by not having as many children as we used to, I mean, it's just too expensive. But like I think they're saying like maybe by like t- um t- twenty one hundred, we're mm. going to get to a point where the global population peaks, and the idea is that when you have like a semi-static population. It doesn't change that much. You don't actually have to be digging anything else out of the ground. So all the stuff that's in the economy can remain in the economy forever. And you start mm. having to exploit, like you start having to have these giant mines. Or if you do, you only have to have very few of them. And just like top up every now and again. Yeah. Hot take. This is so- somewhat related. I I think that a big reason that the abortion... Um, laws in the US got passed was because of their incessantly capitalist need to continue growth and because they have a declining population they want to force as many women to have as many children as possible so they can continue population growth and economic growth I mean, that's true. That's got... my hot take no, I, have no, I have no evidence to prove that this is true this is just holy thought No I mean it's fair, it's fair because <laughs> like, um, the Republicans who are promoting those same policies also really anti-immigration right? and the US population if you ignore immigration is actually decreasing. Yeah. So, like, if you cut out immigration entirely... We could do a whole podcast on immigration. Maybe Honestly, we will. we will. We probably will. But, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff about that. Yeah, but, but um, also a big thing with the circular economy is that it relies really heavily on, like, individual consumers' attitudes changing and just about the way that we dispose of things and the way that we like interact with everything in our lives and like i think that you can encourage that but it's just really hard to properly change like you know we're all told told to like recycle at school but like theoretically you're like oh what even do i recycle and then it becomes too hard and then most of the things you recycle and then you kind of forget and then you forget to put the bin out one week and then you're like well now i need to get rid of this and sometimes you just chuck it out and it's like this world is so hard to deal with that it's like can we really change the whole like the the whole way that everybody in like views just consumerism, right? Like I think it's so ingrained in us. But I mean, it wasn't always, right? Like I know, it, but now it is. It is now, but that took like what forty years. Take forty years to get rid of it. It's mm. possible. I it, pro- it, it probably is possible. I think yeah. it's just long term. Like you can't just switch overnight. Exactly. I mean, and a lot of countries are trying to embrace some kind of circular economy, mm, just yeah. either to reduce their waste or even just... in vibes. Even if they're not vibes, like. Yeah. 
succeeding succeeding all of the goals yep. that they set themselves right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, circular economy though does tend to be more anti-growth than the other two systems, like the trickle down, which is only pro-growth, only pro-growth or yeah. donut theory, which is somewhat pro-growth. Tr- yeah. Like circular economy would ideally have no growth or like not that much. Yeah. So next we have Keynesian economics. So Keynesian economics is named after a man whose last name was Keynes. Yes, and he's... I know that much about it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I guess I guess I guess this is my one. This no, my one I can talk, talk about. about Keynesian economics too. Okay, no, basically it was it was first floated in the twenties, I think. This was like in the post in the like mid war period, right? Yeah, it was like mid war period. It might have first been talked about before then, though. I'm not entirely sure. People I think just started adopting it in the like, mid-war period. And the, the, the economist who promoted it was called Man- like John Manyard Keynes or something like that. I don't think he's mm. actually the guy who came up with the whole idea, but he was the guy who did the best job promoting it, so it's named after him. You've got to love the way the system works. But anyway, basically, the, 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 the Keynesian economics is almost entirely focused on crises. Mm. And it says that when you have a period of um, recession... Like, we have a lot of people losing their jobs, you have a lot of wages dropping, you have a bit of deflation. The most important thing that the government can do is instead of cutting spending and, like, lowering taxes, which is what we did after the 2008 financial crash, is just spend up large. Mm. And as to say, um, basically, basically try and build a lot of public works, which is, like, roads, dams, all that sort of stuff. Hire as many unemployed people as possible just to get them working, put money back into the economy and start pumping, pumping money into the economy. Mm. And... The idea is, is that even if this causes government debt to rise quite massively, it's still worth because it's the only way to dig you out of the out of the hole. And there's kind of some merit to this because it was sort of the method that FDR used in the sta- in the United States, and we used like also in New Zealand to dig ourselves out of the hole that was happened after the um, the Great Recession during the 40s. And like we had a lot of big works projects. Like I think in New Zealand after the war. The Labour government just basically hired up almost every single returning soldier and every single unemployed person and said, right, you're building houses. And that fixed the housing problem completely. Fun mm. fact. But it also... That's what um, we need to do. Yeah, Force but it, people it, it, it basically, it basically, it basically created an economic boom and stopped the recession in its tracks. Sure. And, t- and times when we haven't done that, like in 2008, we sort of just get a very slow, ticking, gradual time bomb, like we kind of still have now. Yeah. The economy isn't too healthy right now. But... um. Yeah, so basically the major criticisms of Keynesian are just that it's so crisis-orientated, right? Like, it, it's yeah. it's designed for when you have a recession, here's what you do. So it's really detailed when you have a recession, but when you don't, when you have an economic boom where, like, nothing's actually going wrong There's, in the economy. There isn't really any, any direction on what to do there. Yeah. I mean... Th- Keynesians might say, oh, cut taxes or, like, raise taxes or whatever. Like, there's a whole bunch of different debates. Yeah. But... That's the most, basically the main criticism is that it like it like it's really good blueprint on how to get out of an economic boom, and it does basically suggest that like government a lot of government involvement in the economy isn't a bad thing, mm. and that's sort of I guess that's sort of um, opposed to trickle down economics, which is saying all government in, in the economy is bad. We only need growth. Yeah, I and think so, I, and I think that's you can kind of see that that's true in the sense that we've kind of traced back the two thousand and eight economic crisis to like oh, the government didn't manage economic policy very well, so really bad things happened. And then it's like, we've since avoided that as far as we can through, like, having better economic policy. Yeah, and, like, more regulation. Like, just, like, more regulation and more control. So, like, there isn't anything to suggest that it's not correct. Yes, but basically the fundamental idea of Keynesian is just that, like, government involvement in the economy isn't bad and it 
and oftentimes when you're in a recession, it can be quite good. And yeah, it's like I think it's hard for people to argue that it hasn't worked in the past. They usually try and the critics usually say that we have quite a different economy nowadays, where it's so globally interconnected that if one guy does Keynesian economics, everyone else has to, otherwise it wouldn't really work. But it is still a pr- pretty much a valuable thing to be thinking about, especially considering that we're that we're from, in a recession. Oh, well, we're, not we're, in a recession. we're not in a recession yet, but we're there's going a, we're coming forward. There's a predicted recession. There's a predicted recession. Happening. Yeah, so it's in my opinion more proven to work than neoliberalism or like um, trickle-down economics that we talked about last episode. Um, the final one we're going to be talking about is syndicalism. This is um, actually talked to, to me by Holly, and I found it really interesting. This is so untrue. Zandy just likes no. to think I'm a communist. I promise I'm not a communist. Okay, but basically... <laughs> Basically, the idea of syndicalism is like currently in our, in our system, mm. we have like one guy or two guys owning a factory, right? And they employ a whole bunch of like they employ a whole bunch of people, and those people work in the factory. They get paid a salary, and they go home. Syndicalism is basically saying, well, what happens if the factory is a cooperative? What happens if the people who are working in the factory mm. all have like own part of the factory, mm. right? Kind of like you say, like like you're paid almost in like shares of the factory. Yeah. So like if the if the factory makes a profit, you make money. The bigger the profit they make, the more money so you like, make. So, like, if you don't work very hard and your factory fails, then you don't get as much money. Yeah. Whereas so, it's if, like, everybody is the business owner, so everybody gets the benefits of giving business owner benefits when everybody is a business owner. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> it gives everyone sort of an incentive to work hard in the business they're in, because mm. if you slough off and don't do any work and you're unproductive, well, that means you actually make just make less money. Mm. And this was a really big movement. Also, like, in France during the... like. Like, like right before the First World War, it was also quite big in the States. It sort of faded away after that mm. with the whole Red Scare and the whole idea of like working unions being bad. But there's actually quite a good example of what it, that sort of thing would look like in New Zealand. Because Fonterra, which is, I, I think Fonterra is the largest company? One of the largest. Yeah, one of the largest companies in New Zealand. It's a cooperative. All the dairy farmers own part of Fonterra. I think Zero is the largest company in New Zealand. It might be the largest company, but Fonterra is definitely one of them. Mm. Yeah. And basically all the dairy owners, like all the dairy farmers have a part share of Fonterra, and as a result, they're all incentive. Like as a result, they all like dairy farmers as as a whole are usually generally quite well off. Yeah, and it's because they're getting like the full value of their work. Their work, and like they're incentivized to work hard because the harder they work, the more money they get. It's like like owning your own business. Like if you're like an entrepreneur, like the only guy running your business, you're incentivized to like work like a dog, unless you get nothing. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's basically the idea of syndicalism. Um, I think the, generally the main critique is just that the people who are working in a factory don't necessarily know how to run the factory best. Don't don't know how to do it well because they just work as their expertise is not in like management or whatever. Yeah. But uh, there's also like the capitalist critique of you can just get people who still can. It's kind of like when you're in a group project at uni and then like you have a bunch like three people who do all of the work and then like there's one dude who just does none of the work and still gets the group grade for it and then he can just do nothing and benefit. Yeah, but but then but then if everybody just has that mindset, then everybody fails. So I think. But also in in that situation, you can't get rid of the group like the person who's slapping off. But like in the situation, the other three guys could get get them. But like we're firing you. Because they're all the managers. Because they're all the managers, right? And then he can say, "I'm I'm a manager, and I'm I'm keeping myself up." <laughs> and, but then they're like, "Well, it's we own seventy five percent of the." Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to kick you out. That's probably fair. Yeah, and there's usually like they're like in cooperative in cooperatives like all around the world. They usually have systems like that. Like if you contribute nothing, you don't get anything in return. Yeah, that seems right. like a based theory. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, it, it it is a really interesting theory. But no, so basically, it's it's a policy that's not likely to get implemented by a government anytime soon. 
because it basically says to business owners, you aren't owning your businesses anymore. The guys who you're working for you now own it. Yeah, like like again, it's like but, an idealistic thing of this is how we probably get most equity in society. But, but it it's does just sort of ask, like, yeah, it, it, it. But I guess the one thing about it is it's sort of like, hey, maybe we should just promote more cooperatives. Maybe we should be like, hey, guys, you should make hmm. your own business together. It's still a valuable thing to think about, and it's quite big in Spain too, actually. Interesting. I think one of the largest companies in Spain is also a cooperative, and the they Spanish make, are all communists. Oh, look, they make so much stuff. Like they make everything from like tables and chairs to like jet engines in this like cooperative. It's like huh. moon, I think it's like Moon Dragon Corporation or something like moon that. Moon Dragon. Yeah, that's, that's like, a maybe cool like, maybe, name maybe, for maybe, a maybe Mon Dragon. I'm not entirely sure. It's something like that. <laughs> but like, I was reading about, it. I was reading about it for fresh yeah. episode. I'm like, that's kind of cool. It's kind of biased. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's four different systems that, uh, well, like ways of looking at the economy that are slightly different to the way we currently do. Mm. And sort of valuable to think about when the next time you hear an economic policy, you can be like, well, okay, it might lead to economic growth, but also is that the right thing? Mm. And it just sort of gives you different ways of evaluating policy. And for that reason, I think this is quite valuable. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope. It, it can get a little bit confusing. Um, but I hope it broke it down in a way that was somewhat digestible. Yeah, and remember, as always, all our sources are posted online at the same time as this episode. And for this one, we might also include some brief, short written summaries as well, just because it was a lot of different stuff. In one yeah, go. yeah, exactly. But yeah, we hope you enjoyed, and come back next week. 